All right, welcome back to the Music Podcast. Joining me and Tom this week, we've got the Killian Duarte, um, known bass player from joining with Felix Martin, uh, playing for Fanuja, Scare the Summit. I also know that you're in other projects, Ladder Math. I think you work for Angel Valley as well, right? Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Abiolet. Which is pretty cool. We had the Latimer guys on the show already, actually, and that was yeah, uh, I, really cool. I saw Derek and yeah, I saw Derek and Eli did that. Which is thanks for having them on there. Yeah, we're very excited for that release. Um, it was a cool release. Yeah, we're really, yeah they're we're really cool guys, man. Yeah, it was a cool release. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're great. The albums. Great. Um, Thank you very much. Mm, mm. Um, so, what did you do with Latimer? Were you uh, helping compose the music? Were you helping with the um, so, so mostly just the baselines for this release because uh, this had been material that had been kind of sitting in the in the works for quite a long time. Um, I had to like obviously full creative control over what I was playing, you know, and that matter I did contribute. But um, this is definitely one of those albums that like, you know, the vocals are such a beautiful highlight and the songwriting is so awesome that like, I mean, I have like the bass really shines on it. But it was one of those that, like, I loved how the songs were. I loved the, the arrangements. So for me, it was just a matter of just making shit. My bass line fit uh, everything proportionally, and we're really faithful. But I'm really happy with it, you know? Like, I mean, we're not, the of all my projects, it's not a big project. Like, you know, it's not that established. But as far as, like, being proud of the work that we put in, like, I'm very elated that that piece of work finally came out. It took many years to get that record out, and... Um, I really couldn't be happier with the end result. The mixing, everyone's guest performances is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. like, it's, it's just a, yeah, I'm stoked. Yeah. Yeah, it should be, should and be. And last year, yeah, you should be, man. Like, you got quite a wide variety of big artists that you played with. And, you know, last year, Fallujah came out with that album. So I'm assuming you've been working yeah. hard with them, those guys last year. That was awesome to get that album. Yeah. That's not really really top album for you guys um yeah like hey, are you guys doing a tour are you sure um so we might be doing something in the in the fall uh i'm not 100 percent sure what's going on with that we might be doing some stuff in the summer that's still up and tentative with the negotiations and everything like that um but yeah like all this past year i was in um i saw tom for the first time in a couple of years we we did a full european tour with rivers of nile and um we did two U.S. and one U.S. Canada tour earlier this year, so it was really nice because, like, I'd known Scott, mostly Scott. I'd known Scott for many years now. I want to say at least like seven years or so, uh, and he'd actually been friends with Derek and a bunch of people. So we all kind of like knew each other, and I was a big fan of the band because I liked the music. And uh, last February, a year ago, he asked me, "Hey, Evan can't do these tours because he's a dad. He's still doing the dad thing." Um, can you like do these tours with us? And it ended up being pretty great because especially after COVID, you know, I've been dying to go back on the road, play shows in front of people and uh, the music I really, really enjoy. And they're really great guys. They become kind of my, my brothers and uh, we were able to see a lot of the world together. And, uh, you know, we just did the 70,000 tons of metal cruise uh, last month, oh. which is a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, because I've always wanted to do one of those things. Uh, you know, I heard about it, heard about it, and uh, I was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'm down to do that." So, but yeah, as for future touring, um, you know, if I'm available, I'm always down to play with those guys because they're awesome. But I think, as of right now, tentatively, there's something in the works for the fall, uh, possibly Europe. So, but we got to see. I, I don't know if summer's something's happening, but as of right now, uh, probably the fall. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Did you um uh ever do anything with Scale the Summit live, or was that like just a just the album? Yeah, yeah. Um, so right now the band's kind of like in a little bit of a break. Uh, but no, yeah, we we did a full U.S. We did two full U.S. tours in 2017, mm. and unfortunately we haven't played live in a, in a minute because of COVID. But yeah. we did play Mexico City, a huge festival with Leprous in 2019, which was awesome. Um. You know, we released the record during COVID. It did, you know, we, we got a great reception for it. But SDS right now is just kind of like, Chris is kind of doing his own thing and chilling out. And so, like, with SDS, it's kind of one of these things where, like, whenever he needs me, he knows where I am. And, you know, I love playing with the band and I love releasing music with him. Um, but, you know, I've just been 
uh, busy and he's been doing his own thing for a little bit now. And so hopefully like maybe next year we'll, we'll do some more stuff, you know, like we got to see where the world goes, but, um, yeah, yeah. But we did, we did do uh, two full tours and then travel abroad a bit. For that. So it's, it's cool. That was cool, man. Hey, out of like, cause you got such a wide selection of people you play for. What's the hardest set there for you personally? Like playing with Felix Martin's got to be pretty tricky. With Felix was as well. so like the the set that I worked on the most pound for pound was the set for the first U.S. tour I did with Fallujah because I was familiar with their later stuff like from Dreamless onward, right? Yeah. But I didn't realize yeah. that like um, uh, the Flesh Prevails that album has got some of the craziest tech death ever. Oh yeah. Like, so oh, yeah. we had to play like Sapphire and. Um, from stone and stuff like that stuff that's really really hardcore technically like you know takes a lot and we were doing a full like we were learning a headliner set and a direct support set so the amount of work i had to do for that one was pretty nuts um that one was like for touring wise that was definitely like the set that like i remember like being like it took the most amount of work for me to get it to like that because it's not so much like the information is is not so much the problem. It's getting your hands to go at that speed cleanly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like it's yeah. different recording. And so you, and also because of who I'm replacing for the live set, you know, with Evan, I want to be able to nail this stuff cold. And Rob was a great bass player as well, hmm. so I want to go in there really confident. So that one took me a, a hot minute for that. And then um, not necessarily difficult mentally, but when I did that tour with Angel. Um, it's a lot of speed picking, like a lot of speed metal alternate picking stuff. So, and he does stuff like he did, he's not like a lot of other bands where like his like bass stems, because Jacob, his, his bass player who does the album, um, he's a really, really damn good player, mm. but they, he doesn't do like the whole, like I do like half while Angel does like the crazy picking. He matches that note for note. So a lot of that, like really crazy speed metal picking, like really crazy stuff. Um, just cause like I'm primarily a fingerstyle player, but I play guitar and I play pick style as well. So that one was just more like, it wasn't so much like it's difficult to play. It was just a lot of endurance because it's like, you're going hard, you're, you're picking really aggressive patterns for a very consistent amount of time with a lot of dynamic changes. And it got my, my picking stuff in the shape, but yeah, Fallujah definitely a hundred percent was the like most like, okay, this is some, this is some real shit right here. <laughs> you didn't find that with abiotic, like the... Um, abiotic was, so there were parts of abiotic that were difficult. The thing about abiotic is that the bass kind of, um, does its own thing a little bit. So like, uh, it's like a kind of in between. Abiotic is not simple though. Um, oh, yeah. but like in terms of like pure man hours for me to get a song from like zero to a hundred, hmm. uh, the Fallujah one was, was a little bit harder, yeah. but abiotic stuff is nothing to sneeze at either. Cause the, especially the ones that we did with the two us tours, that, that material took um, practice for sure. Mm, yeah, 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 you gotta put the time in. Gotta put the time in. What's it like? Oh, yeah. with it makes me wish I'd like. Did you go like? Because Felix Martin is um, just yep. a hell of a guitarist. So, just like, how, how do you even oh, match yeah. that? Um, so I'd known Felix since he was eighteen. So I've, I've uh, like nineteen maybe. So I've known him for a hot minute. We went to school together. So it was kind of good for me to play with him as a first starter, because that's how I started touring was with him. Because since he had such an unconventional approach to it, that whenever I played with, like, normal bands, you know what I mean? Like, mm. my brain was already so used to being stretched to the limits of, like, what I had to do that, like, um, everything else kind of felt more linear. Um, but, yeah, like, we would, it was just one of the things where we kind of, like, grew up together musically a little bit, because, like, we were, I was a year older than him. So my senior year, his junior year, I started playing with him. And so, you know, we would practice together. And so I saw how his process worked. We would practice together and have, like, kind of, like, these things and rehearse. So, like, I was very, like, knowledgeable about how his, like, process and the way he viewed music and his influences were. Mm. So, um, yeah, like, sometimes we, I would match his, like, crazy, like, tapping stuff. And then sometimes he'd play different things. It's very, like, you have to listen to the drummer a lot uh, with that. And so... The album we did, uh, Mechanical Nations, I'm still, like, really proud of that record because, like, there's some really cool bass highlights on that record that are just, like, uh, really funky and cool. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, 
it's it was it was fun. I mean, we're still we're still friends. I talked with him, you know, like on text, whatever. He asked me if I was gonna go to Nam. He got a guitar company, but uh, yeah, it was definitely one of those like things where like I'd grown up with a lot of progressive influences. So like when I was playing with him, I was very intrigued by it because it's something that I'd never heard of before, mm-hmm. you know. And it's such a unique sounding thing with him. And I viewed it at the time like a really cool challenge to be like, okay, like this is absolutely not something that you would normally train for so i guess i'm going to be figuring this out as i go and then throughout the years like you know we, we toured like we did we toured for a while like I, I played with felix on and off from 2010 no 2009 to last show was 2018 so like we played on and off for nine years you know mm-hmm. um and so yeah like throughout that evolution i kind of saw how to do it and we, we both tour our first tours were together so like that like in a van losing money being exhausted things so, yeah. Yeah, I, I still remember I still remember it was Sam driving you at TechFest wasn't it Sam Kubrick yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. Dave Ball came up to us and said there's these people parked over there and I've got to tell them to move and he was like all right, I'll go do it. He went over. He was like, "Shit, it's Felix Martin." Ran away. <laughs> no, leave him sleep. Leave him oh, sleep. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, it was so funny. I'm, I'm glad I, I got. I, I'm glad I got to see uh, David uh, at the uh, at the London show. Yeah, it was nice to see. Him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Oh, that's good. I forgot how tall. So I forgot people. how tall he was. He's like six. He's like six seven. <laughs> <laughs> he's big. He's big. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, man. So you uh I noticed that you also you do online lessons, right, for teaching bass. Uh, how's your bass teaching going right now? Like, are you are you finding it worthwhile to be teaching? Yeah, I mean like I, I view it as a part of my income, absolutely. You know, if it were up to me in an ideal world I would be able to do it full time, you know, I mean it's just a matter of like you know, like with so many other things competing with it, it's like very hard to get it full time. But like, no, I, I I do have like I have two students tomorrow, and like I had some this week, and like you know, like so it's part of the income process. You know what I mean? As a musician, you have to be multifaceted. But mm-hmm. I I love it. Like if it, like in an ideal world, like if like you know everything worked the way I would want to, I would teach you know five lessons a day, and then just play whenever gigs are because I genuinely enjoy it. I like um. Uh, it's kind of fun. You get to like discuss things with people. You see the self improvement with people. Um, I like talking about it in a nerdy sense and like giving people insight. And you know, it's also good for. It's a good way to practice because like when you're teaching something, it really has to affirm that you know what you're talking about. Uh, so it helps keep me really good with my fundamentals. Because if I'm teaching people like, okay, here are these scales. Here's a theory knowledge. Here's how you actually play the thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. When I'm showing them that, I'm inadvertently reinforcing and developing good practice habits of myself. So mm-hmm. um, I really like it. Uh, it's just a matter of just like you know, it's. Uh, you know, but it's it worthwhile, absolutely. I, I, if, if I could, I would teach full time, like and just through any other day job. Yeah, you must be busy all the time, like to shift between playing bass and huge selection of people. Actual playing live performances as well, teaching. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, like I'm grateful if there's like at least like every month there's something different that I'm focusing my energy on. You know what I mean? And so um, it's cool. There's a lot of more time downtime between bands than people like think. You know what I mean? Like so, like there are times where everything's like you're like restarting an album, like with Fallujah, where like it's like okay, tour, come back home for a few weeks and tour like it's like boom boom but a lot of artists usually it's like intermittent when it happens but it's cool because that way i keep busy while like you know like things come in circles you know what i mean like so like when i was playing with neely last month you know like it was like okay so i'm going to vegas for four days to do uh the g4 clinic with her and playing with her and doing these kind of things and then you know some time off at home where i have to do other things and then i i go to 70k and then like and then um this spring's like pretty like more mellowed out, but then things will ramp up in the summer and you know what I mean? Like, so, you know, but it's, it's, it's cool. It's just, um, there's a lot more downtime with bands unless it's like, you know, Mastodon or a band that's like, let's fucking go. Yeah. Um, but it, it's cool, man. Like, um, I definitely have two artists that we're releasing singles with that I'm on, uh, 
hopefully within the next, I think one of them is releasing this next week and then the other one in the, by the end of the month. So I'm stoked to have that be like new music for people to hear me on. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Wait, which band is that going to be cool? So, um, with Abiotic, we are releasing a new single with Matt Heafy from Trivium, which we're really stoked because it's our first, like, um, we, we started incorporating eight strings, uh, into the writing style. And, um, but it's really cool. Tony, our drummer has taken the kind of like masthead of like, um, really being a really big contributor. So it's like what we started on Guy. this is like a more advanced form even with that. And it's our first, um, it's a second song actually with clean vocals, but with like that type of vocals and it works really well. And Matt wrote a really awesome chorus for the tunes and something that's, we know that's going to do really well. Like at least I like with our fan base is going to be received really well. And then the other one is, um, uh, I was lucky enough. Angel asked me to play on the second single off of his new album. So it's really cool. That one I'm really proud of to be on because it's like, it's mostly an acoustic tune. It's like very kind of like Aldi Miola meets like, Return to Forever, so like, there's a lot of diversity in that one as well. So it's like in this in this month, you're like, I'll have two songs. Like one is like super heavy and crazy, and the other one's like very relaxed, where I play like Latin grooves and like it's like very pocket type mm-hmm. stuff. So it'll be nice, like you know, like it's you know more mu music and like you know that uh, I, I think people will like them because it's like stuff that I'm proud that I was able to play on, um, and that's gonna be like this month. So at least some stuff to look forward to this month, musically released. Hmm. I would ask, where are you from? Did you grow up with Felix? Where else are you from? So I didn't grow up with Felix, but we're from the same place. So I'm from Venezuela. So I grew up in Venezuela. Yeah. So I moved to the United States when I was three. Felix moved when he was 18. So like he's he grew up there. Um, I I visited him a lot when I was a kid, but then I grew up in South Florida in the United States. So and then um, and that's where I. Basically, like as a child and until my adolescence, I w- went off to college in Boston. I grew up in South Florida, so like very typical Latin okay. kids, like grew up in Florida. <laughs> uh, so, like, but where, then, where do you find a lot of your musical influences came from? Like, it was it not really particularly Latin influence if you were growing up in America. Um, so it's all over the place. Uh, so it's kind of cool. I didn't have those kind of like traditional parents that like were like, oh, my music is cool. Your music sucks. My parents were always like really, both of my parents, my mom and my dad both have really good taste in music. Like my mom is more of like a prog head. So she's like the prog head in my family. Like so she loves like stuff like Renaissance and Rush and Yes. And she likes, I was just listening to Opeth with her. Uh, coming back from a Christmas thing. So she doesn't dig like the screen vocals as much, but she thinks like all that instrumental stuff is really sick. So she was very much like into like stuff like, you know, like King Crimson and all that kind of avant garde stuff growing up. And my dad is more like a fusion head. So he liked uh, like more like Return of Forever and stuff like that. He was just also around the house. But, you know, in classic rock with each other. So. But they never were like, oh, your music sucks. They were always like very like kind of like, oh, cool, yeah, you can play your album in the car, you know, kind of thing. And um, so it's pretty all over the place growing up. I always did gravitate more towards like, you know, as a teenager, metal and rock and stuff like that. But I've always let listen to like everything, really. Like, um, if anything, when I as I got older, I listened more like pop music now than I did when I was a kid. Cause more like not true cult when I was a kid, but it was a combination between like my parents showing me that stuff, and then I had my older cousin who was like my older brother because I don't have siblings who was showing me all like the metal bands at the time, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that, like the kids in his high school because I went to like a private Catholic school, so he went to public school, so he could like listen, he'd get like all the cool albums and stuff like that, like you know. And I had like that stereotypical like adolescent in the suburbs thing where you have an older. Uh, sibling or family member would show you metal records or like an older friend that would show you like sick band. So it was kind of all over the place, but I had a lot of friends in high school as well that like, it just would always be like my best friends, like a, it's how I actually found out Fallujah. It's through my best friend who we still talk all the time uh, from high school. But like, you know, just like, it's all over the place, man. Like I'd listen to everything from like, you know, old fusion to like prog, but then I loved like, you know, poppy shit I, I still dig lots of good hip-hop and stuff like that so for me the way i view it is like um i also like also performing a lot of stuff that and that's what i wouldn't listen to right like so i'm gonna say listen to bebop i don't necessarily listen to like a lot of that stuff but like playing it is a lot of fun you know what i mean like so 
like uh, I've been like trying to practice like my country picking guitar. I don't listen to that stuff casually, but it's a lot of fun to play. So through like playing songs or genres, like I found that like my mentality is there's no such thing as bad genres, really. I mean, there's some, <laughs> but it's more like bad musicians, bad musicians. But like you, you get good, you get really good musicians that can make a mediocre song really sick. So like I've definitely played songs that normally I would hate with like a really group good group of musicians i'm like oh that's that's freaking sick so mm. i know it's a long-winded answer but yeah it's like kind of all over the place just you know like how i grew up and where i grew up and stuff that's cool man that's cool it's it's interesting how how music like, influences you know, from all areas isn't it that's all yeah 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 what was the um, like? What's what's your biggest gig? Like, who, what was your best moment in a live performance out of any of the bands? Uh, live performance, like it's kind of toss up. So, like, so I played like pretty big gigs, but the two that stick out in my mind where I was like, oh, this was like pretty magical when I was on stage. Uh, one was with um, Scale the Summit when we played with Leprous in Mexico City at this nice, beautiful, like, like very nice venue. And, like, they flew us down for the one show. And, uh, you know, it's just Mexican crowds, uh, because they don't get the bands that regularly, are, like, really into it. You know what I mean? And because of the rarity of it, mm -hmm. us and Leprous and Sky Harbor, we played, like, this really nice venue. But just, like, the audience energy was a lot of fun. And just kind of that trip being there. For that one-off event was really kind of magical and i'll, remember, I'll always remember that show because i felt like we played really really well and then on top of that also was just the fact that uh, i felt that like the the energy and the vibe of the people was really great recently it's not even so much of a big show as it was just a moment where i was like um we were playing on the fallujah rivers of nile tour last summer and we were playing a sold-out show in Colorado at this beautiful theater called the Bluebird Theater. So it's like kind of an opera house. And it was packed, so it was sold out. But the thing was a moment was like just the crowd energy. And it was a moment where like, you know, because COVID had like kind of almost destroyed live music. I know for you guys, the same thing. There wasn't shows and whatnot. And it was the first show on that tour where I was just like, I like closed my eyes and I felt I wasn't, I was fully present. Like I wasn't thinking about the past. I wasn't thinking about the future it was just like i was finally like i felt like back you know what i mean like i was like very centered emotionally so it's a really cool show that i like i always like will remember that like for me that's like oh man that was like you know like emotionally very cathartic and like finally back there's a couple of cool ones <laughs> yeah and then there was like um another show not to bring up a third answer but like it's actually with Felix back in 2014. This is right before I met Tom. Uh, we got asked to do a metal injection showcase uh, hosted by um, Metal Injection. And me and Felix hadn't played in like a year and a half. And we came back. And it was, that was like a really crazy weekend. Like it was us, Rivers of Nile, the Atlas Moth, Scale the Summit. Then the next day was after the burial and Animal Theater. So the same venue in that two days was filled with like a lot of fucking sick bands and we kicked like played our passes off and it was just one of those shows where like it was the first show i guess like as an adult that i felt like with like original music that i was like oh man this is i know what this feels like now to be in front of like a crowd and do this like for real with bands that are established that are like actually like you know legit you know because we'd done touring we, we i've done individual shows but it was the first time i felt like kind of like oh shit this is what it's like kind of like and it was a lot of fun and the crowd reception was awesome we got invited the following year too as well to play with Vale of Maya um, but it was just I remember that show was really sick but I guess those three are ones that stick out in my mind as being like ah that's, that's gotta cool. be a real like <laughs> like a highlight like moment of everything isn't it when you when you feel like you've reached there with a bunch of bands that you respect and stuff as well so yeah 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 man it, 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 it was very cool. It was like one of the things where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like actually an adult doing a <laughs> thing. I'm not like being like a kid anymore, like as a hobby or something like that. I was like, I was like okay, yeah, we're doing this for real. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. But do you feel like 
turned you from amateur musician into like just full time professional? How how did you get from one to the other? What what was the point, the turning point for you? I think that like if at any point in time you're using it to contribute to your income in any way, I think that it counts. So like even people that say like oh like I'm an amateur, but like if you're like playing every weekend and bringing some money home, or you're like you know trying to do it. Then yeah, I, I believe you're you're doing it professionally. The moment I felt like I was like, oh okay, I'm actually like starting to make this work is like I was uh, in I was just graduated college and I had this gig playing a festival. And with the money I made off the show, I bought myself a new mattress at home. And so it's like the first time I'm like, ah, I paid through that not through my day job, but I paid through like a new mattress with gig <laughs> money. And I was like, okay, now I'm. A, I'm a big boy. With big, big things. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I think that like you know, like there are people that like you know, there's like, oh well, if you have a day job, you're not. You're like, no bullshit. I know people in massive touring bands that still have to like, you know, punch a clock or whatnot. Hmm. But I think that if like you contribute a portion of your income with it, and you know, you've done it like for real, where you like, hey, I'm doing a tour with the tour manager, and like, you know, we're pursuing this as part of like our life path in some capacity. You know, what I mean, like, like I take this seriously enough that this is going to be like a thing that involves my trajectory in my life. Now, whether, you know, I still have to have a day job or not is the thing, but if it's like the main guiding force in my life, I think that that's how you'd qualify, regardless of how you have to make other income or whatnot. I think that that's really what it can. Mm -hmm. I was wondering actually, because I'm under the impression you don't have any music released under your own name, right? There's no Killian Duarte solo project, is there? No, no, just because, like, um, I'm, like, I'm very much a collaborative writer. I like writing in bands kind of thing. Like, okay. I don't mind being, like, like so a band leader. If, like, um, is it yeah, like, so, like, so there's stuff that's on the for you long term to have your own solo project. You're just happy to do these collaborations. I might, I might do, I might do a solo record one day, but it would be so ambitious because, like, I wouldn't want to, like, put, like, a, like, a, it wouldn't be like a bass record. It would be like, I would want to write something that's like, there would be so much involved. It'd be kind of like ladder math as where like I have, it, it would be very ambitious and I would need to call on so many musicians. And um, mm. I, I know that the time scale would be fucking epic. So a lot of stuff that I do is like, you know, I'll, I'll release some videos with some original stuff that I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like, like stuff that's like original clip stuff like that. Cause I like that that like kind of is my voice. And also, I like that, like, mm -hmm. what I use, like, a lot of my my Instagram stuff or whatnot, it's more chilled out than some of the bands that people know me for. And so I like to represent that side of myself. It's like, hey, I'll do, like, a lo-fi thing or something like that that's, like, very chill. And then, like, obviously, I'll release a single with one of the metal bands and whatnot. But I, I very much am one of those people that likes writing co collaboratively. So, like, I'm not really the type of person that, like, like, of course, like, I've picked up my guitar before and written an idea and stuff like that, but I'm not, like, my brain, for some reason, is, like, very rarely, like, starts a song and ends a song by myself. It's usually that, like, I like, like, uh, you know, being in a room with someone else and bouncing ideas off of them. That's how I get, like, because I'm a very fast writer when I, like, get the inspiration from it, but that's usually, like, bouncing off a person. Like, um, I live now with the drummer from Abiotic, Tony, and Tony... Um, it kind of is like a really cool um, thing when we work because like, you know, he'll just start bouncing ideas. All right, let's think about this. And then it's kind of like, I like throwing stuff against the wall quickly and someone that can catch my ideas really quickly. I think bassist so, and drummer working together. Good shout. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no. It, the, the dynamic works really well, but it's also just like, um, I don't know, I've always just been one of those people, like, I like writing in bands, like, you know what I mean, like, I, I like, I like when I'm in a practice space, and, and it's how I grew up, you know what I mean, so I was never very much, like, I guess maybe because I'm a bass player, so, like, I started playing guitar later, I started playing bass, Not most people play guitar first, so, for me, the songwriting aspect of it was always kind of like, even though I'd write some little things in my room, it was very much like, oh, I'm in a room with other human beings uh, <laughs> doing that, and, like, you know, I, I, I want to make it a point to like record more ideas, but there, there's also the, the thing that like, there's a lot of stuff involved, like, like programming drums, which is like a nightmare that like, I don't know if I like really want to like, learn. like maybe I'll learn how to do that. But like, from what I've seen is that it is very arduous. And, uh, 
I'd rather just have a really good drummer. Just be like, hey, here's a part. What do you think? Is like, a, I'm so, with you. I'm with know, you 100. percent You're saying everything, and I'm just like, yes, this exactly the reason. <laughs> yeah, programming drums is just like kind of it's a whole thing. There's a lot of it's also like um, I have a lot. I'm surrounded by a lot of people who I are friends with. My best friends who are really good recording engineers and a really good live sound engineers. Like they, they that's what they do. They do production stuff. And the more I know how difficult and how arduous and how to get to a certain level of quality also as well, that like to get a production sounding like that, like that I just respect what they do too much to pretend that I am. Like, like I record my own bass at home, like, and I've recorded guitar stuff at home, like individual tracking I can do. But like the whole like, oh, I'm going to make a demo or something like that by myself. I'm like, hell no, dude. Like there's so much shit involved in that. <laughs> I'm more like you. You do you do the button pressing with that. You're really good <laughs> yeah, at that. Yeah. Like you know, <laughs> I don't even like dialing in a tone. You do that. You're better. <laughs> I've got I've gotten way more self reliant. Like I like when I get a session now, I I edit and track all my bass by myself, and you know, like I I do all the stems yeah. and stuff like that, bouncing all that stuff, no problem. And I've done like guitar stuff as well, and I can layer stuff. That stuff is cool, but like pretending like I'm like a producer or an engineer, I think that's also the reason why so many people like like uh, roast people who are like, oh, I have some some plugins and like a like a, <laughs> a like a mic and a Scarlet. Like I'm a I'm an engineer I'm a engineer and I'm like nah, like I know my limitations. <laughs> yeah, I keep yeah. learning, but I, I definitely wouldn't have the audacity to be like, oh no, I do, I got this. If you're there's a around lot of musicians it, that love doing that, like you're, like, you're around it, so yeah. But it's also the people I've worked with, like with Tony, like he's like insane. He knows how to orchestrate, like he knows every synth, he knows like all the stuff. Like so the people I'm surrounded with are people that are extremely confident. Not like even they're good; they're like holy shit, yeah. amazing at it. So I'm mm. kind of like, okay, yeah, this is a whole <laughs> career path. <laughs> mm. I think it's 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 weird having to be multifaceted and then do like realize where you have to go right. I can't like breach on that when there's people that have focused that much more on it than than I have as well. That's kind of an interesting area. Yeah, and like, and the thing is, like, there's a certain level. There are people who are like arrogant about it and don't want to believe this is true, but like, there's a certain level where people have different strengths, right? So for me, instrumentally, like playing the instruments and even like some recording, I know I got that. Like, it's what I do. But there's just like, just I've, I've just been around too many engineers to know like, there are so many bedroom engineers. And like, of course, they can make a demo. But it's an entirely different art to record, having that kind of mentality. Uh, it's very technologically based. So like, it's, it's beyond just like, like, uh, oh, I know how to use a DAW. It's like a whole world of like really understanding things. And also the troubleshooting as well. Because a lot of stuff is like, oh, like I, you know. It's also the, the, the level that you want to do it as well. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm glad that the things I've released recently are like things that are extremely well mixed that like I could show any engineer and be like, that's awesome. The songwriting's really top notch. The performances are all, you know, right on the money. It's like really good work. And so for me, I wouldn't feel like I wouldn't want to impose that I could do anything like that by myself. Cause even the people I know that like do this, what, that know their shit when it comes to their self recording still will go to a producer yeah. and do the albums and engineering with for final things. A lot of times for stuff like abiotic, we're lucky for ladder math because like, especially abiotic because Tony is an engineer. So we have someone in the band kind of like a periphery with Nolly, but I don't know how far, like, if, if Nolly Get Good hadn't have been in periphery, like, in those phases, like, you know, there's a there's an advantage they had that, like, oh, by the way, our bass player just happens to be an extremely competent Do, Nolly, Nolly used but to like, be in a UK band, right, as well. Like, a, like yeah, go, go on with your thing. Sorry, I just had a really random, random swap. Oh, oh no, if I, but, but, you know, like, like, so we're lucky that we have kind hmm. of our guy in that band like that. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to fancy myself that, like, what I do is I play bass, 
like that's what I can bring with 100% confidence. And my guitar playing is pretty solid as well, so I can do that. But at the same time, it's also like I like letting people do their thing. So like, you know, I'll show a guitar player stuff. Like I like, hey, here's an idea. But at the end of the day, there's like little minutia of things that they do that like only can come from someone who's always like that. Like like drummers. Like I like. There's a lot of guitar players that love micromanaging drums. <laughs> like they're like, oh no, can you do this little symbol hit it here? And for me, I'm like. Dude, I'm the one that listens the most, and I go like, I would rather that you, unless you're doing something that's blatantly wrong, do your thing because no amount of programming drums, no amount of like, you know, superior drummer will ever recreate what it's like to have a person that's behind the kit that knows what the dynamics are, that has the experience mm -hmm. of it. So for me, like, it's one of the things where I've definitely heard of people that like, like program drums that then like the, they give it to a drummer and they're just like. Yeah, you know this isn't like physically able to be played by a human being, right? Like, like it's like <laughs> there are symbol hits that would require an, a third limb, and so like as cool as that is, I would rather just be like, I'd rather just hire a cool friend of mine as a drummer and be like, "Yo, just mm. do your thing, man," and I'll, I'll give you guidelines for what I like. But apart from that, like I like letting people yeah. do their thing. Yeah, definitely, I think everyone's everyone's focused so much on the instrument over time that it's like, why would you? Pick at stuff unless it is, like you say, unbelievably wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's also one of the things where also like um, I found that like a lot of people like uh, if you're concentrating too much on other people's performances a lot, like sometimes like, it's a way that people will compensate for the fact that they're not a hundred percent on their stuff. So like I found that like the more you're like, I mean like there's still like yeah you could be in a band with someone that just doesn't get it and they need notes and guidance or stuff, but. Um, I always found that, like, if you're at a, luckily I'm at the level where the people that I'm in bands with, we don't really have our, like, Lars, you know what I mean? Like, everyone is genuinely a very good musician, and I don't have to worry about them not being able to do a performance. Usually at this level, everyone knows what the fuck they're doing, and, like, that's kind of the fun of it, that we don't have to worry about, like, oh, will this person be able to nail stuff? Like, that's not even in question yeah. on this level. It's very much, like... Cool. What what kind of cool ideas are you going to? Is it have? like you don't you don't feel like you need to practice in a practice room too much? It's just kind of come together and then do you? A hundred percent. Like yeah, like with like Fallujah, we did that tour. You know, we had a rehearsal, but it's usually like even with that music, we had a day of rehearsals. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's expected that at this point, you know, everyone is. You wouldn't be asked if this would be a thing that you're struggling to get by. It's just that you're like, you're, you know how to fly the plane at this point. It's just a matter of like, okay, well, acclimatize ourselves to like the different dynamics. Or like, you know, get the sound levels in our in-ears, get ready to actually playing the songs in front of people. But for the most part, it's assumed that like, yeah, you, you start going, yeah. you just go. So it's, it's, on this level, it's people that have the discipline and know how and have done their homework before and stuff. So it's, when we're playing stuff, it's usually album tight for most of the bands I've been like, yeah. And then just polishing some little things if people need, like, oh, yeah, like, one or two things. But it's never, like, oh, like, we got to practice this part. Like, it's, like, sometimes they'll go over, like, you know, little details that want to, but, like, it's mostly, like, the the bake, the cake mm. is baked. Yeah, yeah, that was a band I was going to talk about was Slice the Cake when you were talking about orchestration and stuff, Because <laughs> you had one guy that was producing all of that music. That's insane it took tons of like so much time because of that like but that's just crazy so much orchestration that's it's it's still more common like within bands that like someone is the primary mm. mover of a lot of stuff you know what i mean like so like with, with scale of summit it is chris Fletcher, and he, it's always been you know what i mean like it's 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 his band and he's the main songwriter for that stuff and we feel like he's like that angel uh, but even like with like collaborative band stuff like you know like with ladder math it's pretty much uh eli and Derek. you know what i mean like there's like there's like you know and then people come in and add their things and flavors and you know right now with abiotic a lot of it's matt and tony are like the main ones john contributes a lot to as well but like it's a lot of it is is those are the pillars right now and tony being a someone that contributes like uh, like a lot because he like has like all these ideas and or his orchestration stuff is really like next level, which is a nice touch for us to have because coming from a band that was just straight, like almost like rings of Saturn ish tech death kind of stuff to now having like full like layers and stuff like that. 
feel like it's matured out a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you like? Do you end up writing tabs or even scores for your bass lines for any of these bands? Like, do you put the, do you put the effort into doing that, or do you just not really need to? Only for scale the summit because we sell it as a product. So I'll get uh, wow. tabs done for scale summit for tab books. But that's just kind of a tradition with Scale of Summit that like it was part of like a well, one of the first bands to do that was to have tab books. So I, I have tab books for the last two records I did. But for the most part, no. Mm -hmm. Um just because like um there isn't a context to like because if like if I'm teaching someone something, then like I'll like make a video or something, or like then I'll maybe tab it out. But unfortunately a lot of the stuff I write also is kind of nuts and uh I use Guitar Pro. I think it's a cool stuff to show people, but I, I also despise it because it's also like not a fun program for me to use. I don't like it. Um, it, it is a means to an end. I'm not like against it. It's just one of the things where like, but like I would much rather be like, yo, like if it's someone, especially if someone's subbing in for me that's competent, I'd be like, yo, hold on. Let me make you a video. We'll talk about the parts, whatnot. Then for me to sit there for, especially some of the stuff I'm playing, be like, I'll make you a video and show you it. Because some of this stuff for me to tab out individually on Guitar Pro would be a fucking nightmare. Um, I think the people that do it uh, where it works out for sub situations like that is because they are tabbing as they're writing, which is its own, like, you know, thing that's like very common with a lot of modern metal guitars that they're like, okay, I'm writing a part, so I'll, I'll Guitar Pro tab it as well. I appreciated someone who lays down session work uh, that people usually provide tabs. For like techier stuff, because like if it's something simpler, I can hear. I have good ears, you know. I learn songs by ear. But for tech metal and stuff that's progressive, you need that. So I appreciate it. But like they are like the only apart from Scale of Summit, I just I'll make you a video to show you my parts <laughs> because like I'm like especially like my crazy mm. stuff. I'm like nah, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> like, is there even a button for some of this shit? <laughs> that's also the problem. Is it like? For slap, like especially slap bass stuff, it comes across horribly in Guitar Pro and a lot of those many things because the they they have the ghost note stuff, but it's very difficult to program slap bass on um, mm. on Guitar Pro without it sounding off, and because unless also the ghost note values, how you place the ghost notes, slurs, stuff like that, it's the one thing I've noticed in all of Guitar Pro that like um, I've seen it all over the place with MIDI files with it where like you know every type of guitar playing and whatnot translates pretty dead on. And then slap bass stuff is just like, oof, it's rough because it is, in my opinion, the most difficult thing to program in those, because it's a combination of almost drum programming and that. So it's, 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 it's a feeling it's a though thing. as well, isn't it? And it's I'm what like <laughs> that, that bass hits off and what that player gives off and all sorts of stuff. Right. Yeah, and especially if you're doing like the more complicated stuff, it, it, that can get real hairy real fast. So like, um, you know, the simpler stuff, I've, like I said, I've tabbed it out for scale summon. I've done it, but like the more complicated stuff can get real dicey. So a lot of times I'd be like, "Yo, man, can I just make you a video showing you what I'm playing there, so you have like an approximation of what's going on?" Mm. <laughs> you know, usually like on our weekly podcast, we tend to play a track from the like the artist which has joined us i was wondering if you you would give us permission uh, to actually play one of the tracks that you played a baseball for the listeners yeah yeah absolutely uh, yeah uh which band would you be able to give us permission to play i'll give you a, a scale summit track because i yeah yeah let's go to summit yeah so uh, especially at the subject record because so uh, a song called "Don't Mind Me" that I like a lot. It's like one of it's one of the popular songs on it, but like the bass playing on that song, I'm really proud of. And I can send you guys that song. All right, cool. I know I like it. It's yeah, it's all good. I've got it up here. Um, all right, let's have a quick listen, shall we? Yeah. This is "Don't Mind Me." I got a crazy story about this record afterwards. Mm 
Too long since I've listened to Scales Sonnet. It, uh, I, I've been pretty sure I haven't actually heard this album. I think the last time I heard was In a World of Fear from you guys. So the thing that's crazy about this record, which we're really proud of, but it was also very challenging for us, is that so those songs are written as instrumental tracks. So like they were written, done. And all those vocalists came afterwards and laid down that stuff. So I had to play bass 
imagining whatever a vocalist might possibly be doing, but with absolutely no idea what they're going to do. So I had to toe this line between, okay, playing a little bit more like eccentric, doing some more fun stuff while being very pocket, but also at the same time, not wanting to write a baseline that would maybe potentially um, go over someone like that. And I, I like kind of am proud of myself with that because I thread a needle in which I think the bass is still interesting. It's still there, but that it didn't assert anything that eventually would happen because technically the vocalist a lot of times was writing to demos that didn't have final bass on it. And I didn't know what they were going to do. So it was this very crazy process and it's a double album. So it's like still the instrumental stuff that people like, and it's way more intricate than the world of fear. Uh, but then there was that whole crazy thing when I was laying bass where I had to be like, okay, I could do a little bit more of the old school stuff where I've been a little bit more busy, uh, which I did for some songs. Like that one has like some cool fun slap stuff and stuff like that and like cool like fills. But then I had to remember and keep in mind that there's going to be an invisible vocalist that I have no idea what they're going to lay down there on this for the, for the vocal version. So, so it was a, it was a very unique recording challenge. And I think I, I, I'm really happy with what I did with it. And, um, but it was definitely one of those where you're like, that's so I good. That's so needles. good though. I, I love that. I think that's the best I've heard, Eric. You managed to find, you managed to find a different vocalist for every single song. There's but, a unique vocalist in every track on the album. It's sort of funny. Yeah, because we thought like, you know, it's always been instrumental. It still is an instrumental band. So like that record exists in its totality, just instrumental. The bass is even a little bit higher on the instrumental one. And I have a bass solo on, um, uh, Space Cadet, one of those songs as well. Like, and so, uh, but, you know, we had this kind of thing where I'm like kind of trying to thread these things. But yeah, we, we found all the performances are fantastic in my opinion. And they each bring their own mm -hmm. thing, but it's mad respect to, to all the instrument vocalists because like we all got everyone's takes back and we're like oh shit this is really cool how they interpreted this music um mm -hmm. and so that was that was really cool and i'm glad i'm glad that record exists you know what i mean like even though we didn't get the tour behind it because of covid i'm glad it exists as a piece of work and i'm, yeah. I'm glad well, it i think exists. mike's definitely a good one from uh intervals days and stuff when he took over there oh yeah yeah mm. yeah Temeski did a great job yeah yeah it definitely like stands out as, like a, a different to the other projects you work with because I've always known Scare Summer as more of a proggy math band and more of a much lighter style, much more positive vibes, kind of upbeat. Uh, whereas you know you're playing with like you're listening to Abiotic or Belugia, Latin Math is way more in the heavier death metal. Kind of Apart from Latimer's newer one, where you kind of have to yeah, get yeah. in that space to listen. Yeah, apart from that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Latimer's new one is still heavier than you know Scale of the Summit. It's yeah. uh, still an intense. Oh yeah, no, no. It's, I mean, there, yeah, we have drop A flat riffs in that one. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I like the contrast. I mean, it's something that I, I like is it so like and the one thing that like I was talking to someone about the other day is that like you know regardless of where my career goes from now, it's like, I'm really happy that it's like, it all ended today that I have some records that I put out that like generally like reflect stuff that like I wanted to do like, like the ladder math record, this record, uh, the stuff like that we've been doing are stuff that I would have wanted to put out as a kid in my own, like, like I'm like, Oh, I want to be in a band. What would it sound like? And these types of records are stuff that like, I would have been proud as a 15 year old to be like, Oh man, I'm going to play in that. Like that's sick. So, you know, I don't know where the future holds. I don't know what the hell's going to happen tomorrow. But, like, at least I'm happy with these records. They show a lot of diversity in my playing and that, like, um, I have a lot in different styles for people to hear me on. And, like, uh, and also that the songwriting was good. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just, like, widdly, widdly, widdly. It's, like, a lot of stuff that people are like, you know, I actually like that record. It's not like, oh, that's really cool what you played on there. It's like, oh, like, oh man, I like that record. Like, it, like I listen to it because it just makes mm. me feel nice. And so... That's what I, I hope. I hope is the main takeaway with everything, you know, if all is said and done. Yeah, definitely a few. You know, especially like post pandemic now, we're all like seeing a huge change in the industry. What would your advice be to an up and comer, someone just coming out of school who wants to be, you know, playing live music, wants to be participating, collaborating with different bands? What's your advice for them? Yeah. Um, 
apart from like the basics of just like work hard and stay focused, it's that every generation, every iteration, you know, the music industry changes towards when you're starting, right? It's the reason why like people that started in the 80s cannot really relate to people that are starting uh, in, you know, that started in the 2000s or something like that. As the industry changes so much. So, uh, you know, you, that like I, I would tell young persons, like, you are probably the better arbiter of knowing, or the better judge, sorry, of knowing what is going to make you stand out. But at the end of the day, and this is just for me, this is just like my opinion, is that like, try and do things that you would be proud of putting out. Because at the end of the day, it's still so luck-based. Hard work and everything do are obviously the things that matter, but music isn't a meritocracy. You know what I mean? It's, it's an entertainment industry, and it's about, you know, it, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm the best architect at my school, so I'm going to get, like, the, big, the biggest contract. It's, it's very much like, you know, take pride in what you do. Be proud that you're really good at what you do. But um, I guess that would be a big thing. Like you, one is that you know you're the one that knows because you're the ones growing up in that generation. What is the avenues that people find music that's a little bit more relevant that you would be more privy to? And then the second thing is that just you know put stuff out that you're proud of. You know what I mean? Like like I I, I, I genuinely believe like you know if something that's trendy is something that you that you feel a lot. You know what I mean? Like that, like that's part of your voice, and by all means do it. But, like, I've always found that the people who try to be trendy uh, fail at getting any long-term success because it comes across more fair weather. But the bands that, like, you know, people think of genres. The bands that still tour in genres that maybe aren't, like, as relevant today, but are the bands that, like, did it authentically because that was what they were saying at the time, and it resonated with people. And thus, even if maybe that's not, like, the thing that's hot right now, they still have careers because, you know that for them was the authentic thing, like, you know, and it becomes timeless because they were, they were saying something that was authentic. And I feel like the people that try and do stuff that's trendy, um, you know, it, all of a sudden people are like, oh yeah, what happened to that band? Uh, or like, people don't care as much because it was purposely made on purpose to be part of a trend. Um, so that, and just like, you know, uh, I guess make friends authentically. Um, you know, especially if you're trying to do session work, like, apart from some very few exceptions, if you find any, like, really successful, like, session musician, I think the one thing that you find out, like, not like people who are like, oh, they're famous because they were, like, a one-off person, people that, that want to work with lots of people, it is someone that people want to be around, like, uh, I went to go see, when I was at G4 with Neely, uh, Steve Lukather had a clinic, and I'm like, okay, I gotta check this out, and the one takeaway I got from him, apart from, like, um, the fact that, you know, he's an amazing player is that he's really fucking funny and everyone, like, likes hanging out with him because he's, like, a really funny dude that lightens the mood. Like, he's <laughs> legitimately, like, hilarious guy. Like, I had no idea. I just knew him for his resume. But, like, in person, he's, like, he's making the audience crack up every two seconds and his anecdotes and whatnot. And takeaway from that is just more like that, like, I think he got hired for his skill, absolutely, and his professionalism, but it's also because people liked being around Steve and if you're going to spend a lot of time around someone in a fan or whatnot. Be someone that helps out, you know what I mean? Like, you never want to be that person on tour that, like, brings up stuff back, especially on tour. You know, pull extra weight, you know, stand up for yourself if people are taking advantage of you, but, like, you know, be a team player, like, try and, like, if you someone, like, help with load-in or something like that, help with that. So, I guess those three are three main components, but, that, you know, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good luck. Yeah. I have one more thing I want to ask you, man, and that is, yeah, sure. who do you consider in the industry right now to be you so like, new, unique? Who right now do you really enjoy listening to and kind of inspires like a new movement in the industry? <laughs> oh, that's a really good question. Uh, we're seeing, you know, like, these are a couple of random ones which come to the top of my head, but right now, yeah, yeah, but, for death metal, Lorna Shaw have just blown up kind of massive for the genre. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they, they're bringing down a whole new twist to death metal. And then you got, like, 
bit of a different direction. You got like Polyphia's new style, mixing hip hop and kind of math rock. And yeah. you know that they've blown up quite big as well now. So there's a kind of new styles being pushed out. But who for you really stands out right now? You know, those are all really good choices with that. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I come from the pro, even though I play death metal and I play with them all the time. Um, you know, I, I actually don't listen to that much death metal. I just know how to play it really well. But like, like, uh, but Lord, the Lord is sick. I, I, I saw them live, and they uh, they're the real deal with with their stuff. So it was really cool. Um, you know, like, uh, well, you UK guys, like those Sleep Token dudes are pretty sick. Like, I like kind of like that stuff. Yes, Sleep Token speaks more a bit to. Did you, um, did you, my sensibilities. Uh, sorry, I was going to say, did you catch on to Tigran, Hamasian, and stuff? That, yeah, that's what was Tigran's amazing, more, yeah. Like, that's more really on the cool. prog like, madness. Like. <laughs> more, more on the prog madness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, stuff like that. Like, Spirit Fox, obviously, is, like, doing a great job for themselves, you know what I mean, with that, like, and what they're mm. doing. And I think it's a good direction for, for metal. I like that right now... Uh, and don't get me wrong, I still love playing instrumental music, it's awesome, but I like that, like, good vocals are a thing that, like, is coming back, you know what I mean? Like, really good, like, not just growls, but, like, good cleans and stuff like that or something that's kind of having a, um, a moment but, again. So that, but yeah, like, basically all the things you just mentioned, you know what I mean? Like, um, I think it's, it's, it's good that this stuff is happening, but yeah, like, yeah, I guess it would be like, yeah, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're definitely seeing a lot of interesting music come out right now. Uh, last year was a pretty awesome year for new music. When we did our like album of the year picks, we had a few different guests at the end of the year talking along with us about who we're going to put down. I'm pretty sure one of the choices Blue's <laughs> album did get put in there, so oh, no. you were one of them. Um, but yeah, the main vote went to. David Max and Mitch's album last year. Um, oh yeah, David. David's a great songwriter. I think that's one of the things I was like those instrumental guys. He's one of my favorites because like he's really good. Like I mean, he's a gnarly guitar oh, player. Incredible. He's a really good songwriter. You know, what I mean, so like he's, he's playing a great composer. Yeah, yeah. It's like, just you know, it's him. It's, you know it's, it's his unique sound. He's found his own sound, and the way it's produced as well is it's gorgeous every time. Um. Yeah, yeah, he's really, really good. Um, he had a, that record, Who Bit the Moon? I've listened to that mm. a bunch, and that, that's a very good record. I think it's a, that's a Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah that record's really, really um, good. It's kind of like more calming than any of the Boiler albums, where they, they all have that intense midsection halfway through the album. And Who Bit the Moon is just way more. Um, throughout the whole thing, so I do enjoy listening to that. Yeah, it's very, like, a, like, a mm-hmm. cinematic almost yeah. a little bit, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, yeah, a little it bit, like, kind of like, it's supposed to be, like, create an atmosphere of stuff, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like a, ba- it's painting a background yeah. or a mood, you know what I mean? Like, of course, there's direct motifs in the compositions, but I always felt like it's very much like a, you're seeing like a tapestry kind of it with that record. It's, it's a very nice one. I like it a lot. Do you ever like just sit around listening to the music you played on, or are you like over the music you played? Do, do you still like this? No, I, 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 no, I absolutely listen to my own albums, and like I, I don't think, and like oh, and cool. it's not. And it, here's what I think: is that if you write stuff that you're proud of, you should be a fan of your own bands, like. Like, and it's not like people think it's like, oh, it's an arrogance thing or whatnot. It's like, no, because you're not saying that your bands are better than other people or whatever like that. But like, no, like I, I like I wear my band's merch and like and I, I listen to my band's songs. It's like, because like you should be writing stuff that you're a fan of. And I think like what I was saying earlier about being authentic is that like if you don't like your band and the stuff you listen, you, you're writing that you like enough that you want to listen to. Um, and don't get me wrong. I get where people would be like, oh, maybe like if you're the vocalist, like you feel a little bit too naked exposed hearing yourself sing but like if you write stuff that you're proud of you know you should be writing it also for yourself in a bit where it's like oh i like this because if also like if it connects with you personally like that then like you know i think it will connect with that but no i, I definitely do that. like that's why we're like i wear my own band's merch too it's like i think it's weird to wear it on stage like i agree with that that, that taboo 
but like no like you know it's it's your company that's like the things that you're proud of in the work and like also like your merch is part of also your um uh your art and stuff like that it's an extension of the art itself so i'm pro listening to your own records for fun and stuff like that it's not out of a sense of narcissism it's just that like if you really like the stuff you put out it's just the same as any other thing you know Mm. yeah that's true man well kidding it's been really cool having you on the show um yeah man thanks for having me i'm gonna that's cool man um uh, I look forward to listening to the new Abiotic when it comes out and keep up to date yeah. with, I guess, any new scale of the summit which might be happening within the next year or so, <laughs> if that's actually in the works. Um, yeah. It's been a while since there was the last year of the summit album, so it would be cool. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, definitely, definitely like um, for this year at least, I, I definitely like we have like. I think Abiotic's going to be releasing some more material and then, like, you know, hopefully some touring in the fall and just, like, um, I can't talk about it in detail, but I, I did a, a record with, uh, it's going to be the biggest record I've ever been on, at least artist-wise. Um, I can't give details because I signed an NDA, but it's with a, a oh, big awesome. top artist in Atlanta. And, like, you know, he's, like, a very, very, very well-established artist who's, like, played with some big people. And I got flown down in 2021 to do a record with him. And it's really cool. It's a mix between like, like it's like a lot of shoegazy stuff and like a lot of big guitars, but at the same time, it's got hip hop and R&B vocals on it. But it's something that it's, it's not like new metal at all. So it's kind of this really cool hybrid of the hip hop world and metal and, and like kind of heavier styles, but it's its own unique thing. And I'm really stoked because I think that is absolutely dropping this summer or at least this year. I mean, as far as I got updated, because I, I got the final mixes for some of these songs this week, and I'm really proud of that. So that's going to be a unique, different thing that people haven't heard me on, and it's with the biggest artists I've ever worked with. And so hopefully that'll be something that, I don't know if like I'm going to throw with them or not, but it'll be something that I'm really going to be proud of that like will be released in the world. That's so, like, awesome. Be that's awesome. Very different. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. 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 All right, well, we'll keep up there on that, man. You know, once uh, once you actually make the release, it'd be great for us to check it out, <laughs> share with the followers. For sure, dude. That's been out. Thanks for anyone listening right. in, and to you guys, you have a good night. That's good. Yeah, you too. Thanks for joining the show. Have a good one, buddy. <laughs>